0: What's up? What's up with it? You are listening to the Bad Cow Podcast, where no cow is too big and no beef is too small. I'm your host, Lindsay Maybe bad. This show features adult content and adult language, so listener discretion is advised. I want you to do it to me, baby, honey. Till the cows come home. What's up? What's up with it, everybody? Welcome to the Bad Cow Podcast show. First things first, before we get started, I just want to say thank you to the returning listeners who came back, the new listeners who stopped by. You both chose to have me in your speakers today, and I really appreciate it. As always, I hope you enjoy today's badness. Here we go. All right, class, listen up, because we got a lot of information to cover and not a lot of time to cover it. So pay the fuck attention, okay? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, but for real. Um, Today we're going to talk about recovery programs and why I think they need a rewrite Hi, my name is Lindsay, and I'm an addict, and I know everything. If only society would come to me for answers, imagine, imagine how much better shape we would be in. Psych. Just kidding. No, but for real, okay? There's three points I want to talk about as far as what I need or what I believe needs a rewrite in recovery and addiction programs. One is that addiction is a symptom, not the problem. Number two is all factors should be considered. And number three is we just need some more damn science. Okay, here we go. All right, so I'm going to do my best to just like provide a concise breakdown of all these three things that I think need to rewrite. Um. <clears throat> Jesus, there's something in my throat. Sorry. All right, so the first one is addiction is a symptom, not the problem, right? Now for anybody out there who has maybe had a garden Or just a yard with some grass or some shit, right? Occasionally, there's like these little fucking weeds that pop up, right? Not smokable ones. Stay with me, pothead. I'm talking about those little annoying little weeds that pop up in your garden. Now, for those of you who don't know, when you're pulling weeds, you have to really try to get the part of the weed that is below the surface called the root. Why, you may ask? Well, because if you don't, bitch, it's going to grow back bigger and worse than that first time it did, right? So when you're just pulling off the top of the weed, give it time. That's going to come back with a vengeance. And it's going to be even more deeply rooted in the ground and more difficult to remove and extract, right? I want you to keep that concept in mind when I'm talking about treating addiction as a symptom, not the problem. Because addiction is a symptom of a root problem that an individual is experiencing. So, if addiction is the visible part of the weed, what is the root problem? Don't worry, I'm going to tell you. Nine times out of 10, I would say nine and a half, 9.9 times out of 10, it's a trauma. And when I say trauma, I don't just mean some sudden, violent, ridiculously horrific event. Although that is a thing. Yes, rape, or having your house burned down with all your shit in it, or having a loved one pass away at a young age, or just a loved one pass away at any age that was really close to you. All of those are traumas, heavy traumas. But there's a lot of more subtle traumas that people experience and they don't even know it. Like being bullied. Having parents that don't expect shit from you. Having a sibling that's always a fucking bitch to you. Things like that are what they call cumulative trauma. Imagine you got a backpack on, right? And someone drops a fucking solid brick in there. That's a heavy weight. That's the, that's the random, intense trauma, okay? That's the rape. That's the, that's the house burning down. Cumulative trauma is a scoop of gravel that someone's putting in your backpack every day. That shit builds and builds and builds and gets just as heavy as the brick, and in in a lot of cases, heavier. Both of these traumas, if left undealt with, if nobody ever helps you get that shit out of your backpack, one form of dealing with it might be some substances. You know, if you, if you get a little drunk, you might not even care so much about that weight in your backpack for a minute. I mean, I'm sure if you use some meth, you really won't give a fuck about that weight in your backpack. You're zooming with that backpack on now. You don't even care. Shit, put another one in there. I got it. <laughs> um, substances are used when it becomes so intolerable, when the pain just becomes too much, when you're just so uncomfortable in your own skin or with that heavy backpack on for years and years and years and nobody helps you with it. Nobody ever carries it for you for a minute. Nobody helps you get that shit out. When you become that uncomfortable, that level of pain, you're desperate. You'll do anything to make it stop. Including binge drinking including trying some meth including maybe shooting up some heroin all of those things are really effective for the moment and when it becomes that hard of a burden to carry when it becomes that big of a of a pain you're willing to try anything including the drugs that you know we all sat in stupid dare assemblies and heard were bad for us but we haven't found anything else that is working we haven't found anything else that's relieving that pain And when you find something, you don't give a fuck how detrimental it might be to your health and your overall quality of life. You're going to fucking keep doing it because it's the only thing that works. That's when addiction happens. That's when a substance abuse problem happens. That is what needs to be treated more than just abstinence from a substance. Okay? That's what I mean by addiction is a symptom. If you want to really get rid of that fucking weed problem in your garden, bitch, pull up the root. And then maybe lay a tarp down or some shit under your rocks. I don't know. Whatever the hell is supposed to be the the procedure for preventing weeds. But that's the first big problem with recovery programs. Treat the root, which is not substance abuse. Don't get me wrong. Substance abuse is a huge fucking problem. It definitely ruins lives every day. It's a big problem. It's definitely a problem. But if you don't want that problem to creep back up, you're going to need a little bit more than just, you know, 100 days clean. You're going to need more than just five years clean. You're going to need to treat that root. Okay, we got that, right? Treat the root. The Root's the problem, not the abuse. Know it in your heart, okay? Next thing, the the next root, or blah, 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 next root, next gripe I have is that all factors got to be considered. Now, for me, this is more of a personal issue that I've dealt with in recovery programs versus what everybody might be dealing with. Uh, Well, my issue with them not taking all factors into consideration is I feel like in most recovery programs, whether it be an inpatient, outpatient, rehab, or just a group you go to, the same therapy, the same treatment, the same strategies are applied regardless of your personal situation. I mean, I don't even think... in any program I've been into, they don't even differ their treatments based on the substance, which they should, because the substances are different. Their effects on a person is different. To me, that just is only a common sense way of thinking that the treatment should be different. Um, I mean, we, we all know that substances have different effects. You can see this just in, the, in how they manifest in the person. For example, when you get drunk, you probably shouldn't drive because your shit's going to be a little bit impaired. Your speech might be a little slurred. You're a little more relaxed. You might be a little more friendly. You might be a little more angry, depending on how you, interp- or how you, you know, deal with the alcohol. But typically, your inhibitions are lowered. Your cognitive abilities are, are blurred. That's with alcohol. Now, with meth, not the case. With meth, you are extremely alert. Your blood is pumping. You can handle five things at once and make it look easy. And I mean, after a prolonged use, sometimes you do get a little bit of a noodle groove to you. You might not be able to control that bottom jaw as well as you used to be able to. Yes, the long-term effects of meth can be very detrimental to your cognitive abilities as well. But usually in the beginning when you're using them, you talk as fast as I do now. Or you, uh, you're able to comprehend your surroundings, your environment, what's going on, and you can react faster than the average. You can comprehend and connect the dots a little bit quicker than the average. You're, you are on top of it, or you think you are at least. Um, and that's because these substances affect you differently. Now, most substances, I I think all substances actually, have an impact on your dopamine system in your brain, which is the reward center, right? That it, it affects your feel good. They just have different pathways of getting there. Some take side streets, some take back roads, some take freeways. But the... Uh, the treatment for all of these should differ a little bit if that's if that's what's going on you don't treat a broken arm the same way you treat a broken clavicle even though they're both broken bones they have different therapies right they have different casts they have different uh prescriptions they have or like different prescribed what they need to do for the next few weeks like it's different because it's a different bone it's a different sh- i mean it just makes sense and the reason why I th- say all factors should be considered is because somebody who starts using drugs at 11 has different occurrences and different changes in their brain and in their body and in their just overall psychology than somebody who used for the first time in their 30s. And oftentimes I don't think that's really taken into consideration when it, it fucking should be. I mean, when you, when you say that, when you put it in those terms to a person, it's really amazing to me the level of unacknowledgement That is on the other side even when it is from a person who has walked the walk of a recovery Um, and you know what some of these people I know they mean well and I know that they care and I know they're trying to help but the the lack of education the lack of understanding or just the lack of overall knowledge that some people have over all substances prescriptions illicit otherwise it's pretty pretty incredible and, and the age of a person and the circumstances surrounding which their first use was are probably some of the over most overlooked factors when it comes to somebody's addiction problem and their subsequent treatment. In my opinion, I feel like I, I don't... It's not that I need better treatment. It's not that I need, you know, a higher quality of treatment than somebody else. I don't think that's the case Everybody should get the same quality of treatment, but the intensity, the length of time, the amount of hours, I think that needs to be dependent on the individual because all addictions aren't the same, and it always depends on the individual. Even if it's just a matter of them weighing more than another person and how a drug affects them. There's some people who can pound beer after beer after beer, and their blood alcohol level is not going to be what it is for some pint-sized pipsqueak who had, you know, half a margarita. It's all individual, and therefore all treatment should be individual. Now, I realize that funding and staffing and shit like that for each individual person is probably gonna be a bit of a hurdle. But if we wanna see better success rates among those who are trying to get help for their treatment, we need a a new approach. And I think it needs to be on a more individual level. Age alone, the age of your first use should be the big, like one of the top factors. Why? Well, because your brain is different at every age. You know, there's reasons why we don't let fucking anybody under 18 drive or 16. I don't know what the rules are in some states, but basically, if you're 11, you're not allowed to drive a car. You're definitely not allowed to drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes. Um, They don't even let you into certain types of movies if you're under the age of 11. You're not supposed to get a tattoo. You're not supposed to get piercings. You're not allowed to vote. You can't rent a car. I mean, you can't do hella shit. Why? Because you're a fucking kid with a small brain. And I understand that the actual, like, size of your brain does its most growing in your first five years. But growing and development are two different things. And the development of your prefrontal cortex, which regulates your, your own ability to self-regulate, it regulates your impulse control, it regulates your ability to forward think and plan, that, that's still doing its most development in your preteen teen years. Because your brain's not done growing or developing until you're 25-ish. So as far as how doctors justify giving heavy treatments like Adderall or anything else along those lines to kids who are under 18 is just fascinating to me. But they do and whatever. I'm not a scientist. But it's only reasonable to assume that that's got to have a huge impact on the person later in life. If they develop a substance abuse problem. Um, Somebody who starts using at 20 and uses for the next 20 years. Yeah, that's a shit ton of time. Holy shit. You got 20 years of addiction to try to fucking work through, man. That's a long time. But their level of addiction and the damage done to the brain for them. Is going to be different. And in my opinion, probably less severe. Than somebody whose addiction started when they were 11. 11. And they had a little baby brain still. I only had 11 years of my life with a clear mind. And when you're 11, in the situation I was in where it was a prescribed pres- uh, medication that trusted authority figures were telling me I needed, of course that impacted the psychology I have now that surrounds my addiction. I, th- I f- have a hard time believing I'll ever be able to be clean and functional. Because since I was 11, I was being told that I won't be able to. Not only were they just telling me that, and they weren't telling me in some mean way, <clears throat> I don't believe there was any kind of malicious intent on the part of my teachers, my doctors, or my parents when they gave me this prescription. I think they were trying to help. But in doing so, what they instilled in my mind is that, bitch, you're not going to be able to function on a successful level without something, because your brain don't work. The, the psychology behind that is a bitch. Do you know how hard it is for me to believe I'll ever be able to function without something? You just gotta want it. Shut the fuck up. Of course I want it. You don't think I want a brain that works? You don't think I want to not be a fucking drug addict for the rest of my life? Maybe if I had started using in my 20s and had had 20 years to at least kind of accept myself or kind of have developed some type of way of functioning in the world on my own. But I never got the chance to. And I'm not mad or or bitter about it. But I think that speaks volumes to the level of treatment I'm probably going to need in comparison to the next person. All these factors need to be taken into consideration for every individual who's trying to overcome this fucking disease because it's a bitch. And it sucks that we all just get the same treatment no matter what our substance is, no matter how long we've been using it. We all get the same fucking serenity prayer in 12 steps regardless. It's irritating as shit. The main treatment for most of these programs is, is adopting morals and principles versus having our psychology addressed, having our traumas focused on. It's irritating. What's up? What's up with it? Okay, so for those of you who are new here, this is the part of the show where I insert a sponsored ad for my podcast platform, Anchor by Spotify, telling you how great they are for anyone who is thinking of starting a podcast. But fuck that. Let me explain. Anchor by Spotify offers paid sponsorships for shows that reach a certain amount of listeners. They call it an ambassador ad, and it pays dick. And not the good dick. It's that limp, soft dick that leaves you feeling used and unsatisfied. Then they really make you feel like a hoe when they tell you that your ad expired because you reached too many listeners. What the fuck? That's when they tell you try different monetization strategies, like asking your listeners to pay for subscriptions. How thoughtful of them, right? (laughs) Don't worry. I am not going to ask my audience to foot the bill in this fuckery because you see, whether or not my show is heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else, my hosting platform still gets promotion whether I have some asshat ambassador ad or not. So if this is the standard set by the industry, then think of me as a podcast pioneer who refuses to make pimping easy for these corporate bastards. Instead, I think I'll just shit on them in every episode I publish until I decide on a different platform to host from. <laughs> as always, thanks for listening and uh, let's get back to the show. Last but not least, we need more science, people. Period, point blank. That would help all of these gripes that I have. Because addiction to sex, addiction to gambling, addiction to shopping, addiction to shit like that. Of course, your uh, psychological dependence on those things is there. And maybe there's some level of changes to the structure of your brain but nowhere near on the level of a substance the way the substances affect your brain in some cases it's irreparable and and the the form and the fun the form of your brain and the things that occur in the brain can have a a shit ton of side effects i'm going to read you guys this little story about somebody who um Lived a basically normal life. Never had any kind of uh, issues until they got this uh, tumor. Okay, this is a story about a guy who was living a very normal life. He was a school teacher. um, Had a family. Had a very, from the outside looking in, typical life. Until he got this egg-sized brain tumor. And because of this brain tumor, he had a lot of unnatural urges that manifested in sexual like fantasies and feelings towards kids. Uh the title of the article is called brain tumor causes uncontrollable pedophilia. Weird, right? But not so much when you think about how complex our brains are. Brains play a huge role. So this was an article from 2002, okay? The sudden uncontrollable pedophilia exhibited by a 40-year-old man was caused by an egg-sized brain tumor, his doctors have told a scientific conference. And once the tumor had been removed, his sex obsession disappeared. The cancer was located in the right lobe of the orbital <clears throat> orbitofrontal cortex, which is known to be tied to judgment, impulse control, and social behavior. Um, neurologists believe it is the first reported case linking damage to the region with pedophilia. Um... We're dealing with the neurology of morality here. Since the area does not affect physical health, it's one of the areas where you could have a lot of damage and a doctor would never suspect something's wrong. He wasn't faking, says one of the scientists. But if someone argues that every pedophilia needs an MRI, the difference in this case was that the patient had a normal history before he acquired the problem. The man, a schoolteacher, began secretly visiting child pornography websites and soliciting prostitutes at massage parlors, activities he had not engaged in previously. While the man felt that his new behavior was unacceptable, in his words, the pleasure principle overrode his restraint. When the man's wife found out he had made subtle sexual advances towards young children, he was legally evicted from his house and found guilty of child molestation and medicated for pedophilia. The judge ruled that he had to pass a 12-step sexaholics anonymous rehabilitation program or face jail time. But the man was expelled after he failed to restrain himself from asking a woman at the program for sex. The evening before his prison sentence, he took himself to a hospital complaining of a headache and saying he was afraid he would rape his landlady. After he was remanded to psychiatric care, he complained of balance problems and an MRI scan revealed an egg-sized brain tumor. Further tests found that the man was unable to write or copy drawings and was unconcerned when he urinated himself. Seven months after the tumor was removed and after successfully completing Sexaholics Anonymous program, the man returned home. He complained of headaches and secretly collected pornography once more, but after an MRI scan revealed tumor regrowth and it was removed, the behavior again disappeared. Damn, right? And that's from just a tumor in his brain. This is why we need more science behind addiction and what causes addiction and what it does to our brains and why it seems nobody can fucking control themselves after a certain amount of time of using In my opinion, the way I see it, the way I wish they would go about it in rehab programs is if somebody expresses or tells their intake person that they have been using for a certain amount of years, starting at a certain age, you should automatically go get your brain scanned. Because what happened with this guy was once they removed the tumor, it was done. Everything was back to normal, and I'm not saying that that would be the case with addiction. I'm not saying that it would be something as easy as a—well, not that brain surgery is easy, but I'm not saying it would just be some kind of removal of part or a treatment to one thing that would fix it all, but imagine. Maybe it would be. What if? What if we stopped treating addicts as people who had no self-control, as people who were weak, as people who just, you know, wanted a party? What if we treated it as a scientific phenomena that was totally treatable if we just looked? It could be. I'm not saying that it is. It probably isn't. But if someone comes into a recovery program and explains to you that they have been on a stimulant since they were 11 and are now 34 and are having the most difficulty, not only believing that they can be better, but it's because they can't. They have no idea how to function. They can't even fucking get themselves up out of bed if they don't have their substance. And then they get an MRI and they see, well, shit, you got a fuck ton of holes over here that we can treat with some kind of vitamin. Or maybe you just need some intense cognitive behavioral therapy specialized just for you and your issue. Fuck, man. Can you imagine the relief society would feel if this is how we approached addiction? Before we wrap up, I want to talk to two people in my life that deserve some credit for how I've gotten to the point that I'm at today because although I still have a long way to go I would still be running amuck and in the gutter most likely if I didn't have these two people first of all the first one is my boyfriend because this man met me at my absolute worst my absolute worst I was in the throes of my addiction when I met him and he still thought the sun shined out of my ass and he's loved me ever since he's never given up on me he's never once suggested that he can't handle me anymore, that he can't take it anymore, that he doesn't want to be with me. He has been completely supportive. It's it's an unending amount of support that he's given to me, loyalty that he's given to me, trust, love, unconditional. I didn't think men like this still existed, and I definitely didn't think I would ever get one if they did. I can't express the amount of love I have for this man and how he has been the saving grace in my life, my son's life. He deserves all types of recognition and and I don't know if I'll ever be able to give him what he's given me. But I love the fact that he doesn't really care if I can. He's still going to love me. Type of shit is rare, man. And I, I love you, babe. I love that he has been there for me through thick and thin. And and I, although I may have my insecurities just from my past experiences about what the future looks like for us, he's never, ever made me doubt that he was going to be here for the long haul. And I it's played the biggest role in my life um and the next person is my drug abuse counselor who is just the shit I just love this lady so much the other night I was telling her about how we not we got to go to the casino together and gamble because we'll just have a blast it'll be a win just to go together and she told me Lindsay I think we would have fun going to 7-eleven together because we're just that dope like (laughs) and she's right um I've never had a connection like this with somebody who I was trying to get help from ever in my life. I mean, here I am bitching about recovery programs, and she's one of my favorite people. And I think the only reason why her program has worked so well is purely because of her. She has been the deciding factor in why I think I've been able to achieve any kind of success. And I, I know that when I say that, she'll tell me, like, no, Lindsay, you're working hard. It's because of you. Nah, bitch, it's you. It's you. It's you and you're just baseline unconditional love for me I mean this lady loved me before I could love myself and she's never stopped she's called me whenever she said she was going to call me she always follows through she always gives her all she's helped me schedule appointments for you know my doctors she's helped me do she's just helped me with everything and anything I ever needed help with we call each other when we're having a hard time we can trust that what we say to each other is going to stay between each other we can trust the advice we give each other we can be real with each other which is a huge factor she's kept it real with me when I've been fucking up She'll tell me what I need to hear, even if it's hard for her to say it. She's not going to she's not gonna shortchange me in, in what she thinks I need just because it makes her uncomfortable, and that's love right there. I can't tell you how much I love this lady, uh, and I'll never stop singing her praises. And one thing she always tells me that really touches my heart is she says, Lindsay, I'll know you for the rest of my life. Which is huge, because when you're in temporary-type group settings like this, I mean, I think people always have the best intentions of staying connected, but typically they fall off because life happens and whatever, but... I plan on knowing this lady forever, whether she likes it or not. And I know she feels the same way. We're so similar but so different and we just, all of those things don't even matter because real recognizes real, I think is what it boils down to. This lady is so authentic and so genuine and she offers the same amount of love and care to me that she does everybody in her program, even people who don't even really want to be there. She probably works harder at people's recoveries than they do. And that's just because she's a heartfelt person. It's just because she wants to see us all get to where she's at. Having a life free of these fucking vices and living, living fully productive, happy lives. The lives what she says we deserve, even when we don't believe we do. So you know who you are, lady. I don't think I can actually like say her name because of HIPAA violations and shit, but she knows who she is and just know, people, that there are good ones out there. Fucking appreciate them, man. Because they're rare. I feel so blessed to have two of these people in my life. So that's all I got for you guys today. All right, everybody, that about wraps it up for today. We got another one in the books. Thank you again so much for your listening support. I can't tell you how much it means to me. If you ever want to shout me out or come see what else I'm up to when I'm not in your speakers, feel free. I'm on Instagram at Bad Cow Podcast, Facebook on Bad Cow Podcast Show. And if you ever want to reach me directly, you can do so at badcowpodcastshow at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you. See you next time. Bye.